butter beer or blue milk? Oh my god! Do you even have to ask a question? No, like that? I don't have to ask that question. <laughs> if if you say blue milk, you're done. I would take I would take butter beer fudge, which is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> over blue milk. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the DCL Duo podcast. And we're excited to welcome back a guest that we had on our show early on, and we're excited to have back. So I want to start by welcoming Seth Kaberski to the show from the Unofficial Guides. Welcome, Seth. Hi, Brian. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for having me back on. Great talking to you again. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. We're excited to chat with you. And, you know, now we're very far into the pandemic, as opposed to when we talked to you last, which was early on in the pandemic. Right. Hopefully we are we are over the hump or beyond the bottom, however you want to put it. Yeah. Ho- hopefully we're we're making our way towards that light at the end of the tunnel now. But definitely love to love to catch up with you and, and talk about some some new things that have happened. Yeah, absolutely, because the parks have definitely not stood still since reopening. Yes. Yeah, they are they are evolving, which is which is actually nice. I'm liking that Disney is Disney is taking some time and Universal, I presume too, is taking some time to make some needed upgrades. So <laughs> Well, for our listeners who don't remember, one, you can head back in our catalog and listen to Seth's prior show. Seth is the co-author of the Disneyland unofficial guide, which a little tears running down my cheek today because there will be, I think, no unofficial guide for Disneyland this year because the park has not been open for almost a year now. We're coming up on it. Uh, but Seth is also the co-author of the unofficial guide for Universal Studios in Orlando, and they do have a new book out currently on Universal Studios. So we wanted to start by talking with Seth about that guide. But before we dive in to our topics, uh, Seth, we always like to remind folks about our guests' backgrounds with Disney, or in your case, Disney and Universal. So you going to want to give folks a, a brief reminder of your background with the parks and, uh, and the unofficial guides? Sure. Well, I, I've first of all been a lifelong fan of the parks ever since I was a little kid growing up in New Jersey and dreaming about those infrequent trips down to Orlando. And uh, I was kind of so obsessed with it that when I graduated college, I I moved down to Orlando, threw everything I owned in a a truck and and drove down. And I wanted to get a job working for Disney, but just through sheer coincidence, ended up getting hired first at Universal. Put in a few years in the late 90s at Universal at places like the Ghostbusters show, which is long gone. Uh, the Terminator show, which is long gone. There's a, there's a pattern here. I might be cursed. Um, and, and the Barney show, which is uh, currently on hiatus. And also things like Mardi Gras, which is going to be a little different this year. And uh, Halloween Horror Nights, which really hope will come back for 2021. And I, I put in my time at Universal. I was there through the opening of Islands of Adventure. And then uh, moved on to a career in writing about the theme parks. So I've been working with the Unofficial Guide series for over 10 years now. And got the Disneyland book, the Universal book, which I started. And I also contribute to the Las Vegas and Walt Disney World book. Yeah, yeah we love those Unofficial Guides. We've got a stack of them. We buy the new ones every year. So for please, listeners please out there... Please keep buying them, please. <laughs> <laughs> If our listeners out there, the unofficial guides are great planning tools, touring plans, which is affiliated with the unofficial guides is a great site to go get information about the parks, plan your park experience. And I will put in a plug for my favorite, favorite feature of touring plans, which is the restaurant reservation finder at Disney World. It has saved us on more than one occasion. Yeah. If you're visiting during a busy time and you want to get a table at at a hard to get restaurant, uh, that touring plans reservation finder can be a lifesaver. Yeah. And it, it's so good. It's so I just have to say it's so well done. You put in your search parameters and then, you know, it texts you or I think emails you even and then you just click a link and you're like right in the reservation. It's amazing. I I, I love it. So when we, we use it all the time when we're visiting the parks, which we can't wait to start doing again. So <laughs> so so Seth, let's let's talk a little bit about the new guide you've got out for Universal. Maybe let's start with. So what's new? Uh, what are the big changes? Like, what 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 was the stuff that really took up a lot of uh, a lot of pages or or you know revisions this this time around? Yeah, this this was actually a really challenging addition to put together. You know, we've had big changes in the past, like adding Volcano Bay. You know, adding a, a chapter on a whole new theme park uh, or a water theme park, depending on <laughs> that. That was a challenge, but it was really nothing like dealing with COVID because. 
obviously the pandemic and uh, the new safety and health procedures that they've put in place make some radical changes to the way that guests experience the park and have to prepare for a vacation. But we all hope and pray this is not a permanent change. And, you know, when we started working on this, we thought, well, this will be a few weeks. And then we thought, well, this will be a few months. And then now we're past a year. So assembling a book that would be relevant when it hit the shelves and still relevant, you know, 10 or 12 months later, when the next edition is not quite out yet, that was a real challenge. So I, I think we we did a good job of striking a balance with giving everyone the information they need to know about COVID so they can make their own decisions without either downplaying the pandemic or scaring people into thinking they can never leave their house again. Uh, it was a really tricky. I mean, this is obviously a, a hot button issue. You know, it's gotten all wrapped up in politics and trying to strike a tone that is not going to alienate half your readers. <laughs> little tricky, but. The, what we settled on was adding this new special standalone chapter right at the beginning of the book, laying all our cards on the table, discussing really frankly, is it even worth going on a vacation to Universal Orlando with all this stuff going on? Giving you that up front. And then the rest of the book, you know, we uh, pepper in those things that we want to remind you about. We call out things that you need to know. We even invented a new little cartoon character. Uh, he's called a Woofo, and he's wearing a little face mask. And you'll see his little face pop up in the book where we have important COVID information that y- you need to know. But the hopes are that when 2022 comes around, we will be able to very gently lift all of this stuff out of there when the pandemic is just a bad memory. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because you've got to give information right now about what procedures look like and what's closed down and not happening or what's changed for the pandemic without knowing what, if any, other changes Universal will make just over the course of the next year, even before your next edition comes out, right? Yeah, that's been challenging. (laughs) It's, you know, writing about theme parks is a moving target, Mm -hmm. no matter what year we're talking about. I always say that from the, the day that I have to make my final revision to the book to the time that it is actually put on dead trees and driven with fossil fuels to be put in someone's hands, there's always going to be, you know, a, a few percentage uh, of the book that's already out of date. Oh, you know? that must drive you crazy. <laughs> and yeah, it, it is. Um, and it's just the nature of working on something that is constantly changing. In this case, it was expensive especially challenging because Disney and Universal, especially when they first reopened, were changing the rules almost by the day. Right. And what the rules were changed depending on who you asked. And trying to keep track of that was really maddening. Fortunately, now that we're this many months into it, a lot of that is settled down. And a lot of the basics are pretty standardized now. And I think that they are going to pretty much stay the way they are until they decide that they can lift the restrictions. Hopefully, you know, we are not going to go back into, you know, a second or third peak with the vaccine coming out. You know, hopefully that means that things will be improving from now on. It is inevitable, you know, in the book, there are things that we say that are closed or modified that have already started to creep back to the way they were. Uh, The biggest thing is capacity on a lot of the attractions was really slashed because they were leaving empty rows between guests on uh, vehicles. And now they've switched to adding more plexiglass. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have these, you know, clear dividers in between guests instead of leaving empty space. And that's helped increase the capacity. So you know, some of the very specific details on a particular ride may have changed by the time someone gets to the park. But I think we do a pretty good job of explaining, you know, what the kinds of changes you're going to see are, Mm -hmm. and how they might have been modified even further by the time you get. Well, I want to say I haven't read the new book yet, but I I commend you all for having a a full chapter at the beginning of the book on whether or not you should go at all. I I think that takes a lot of chutzpah, I'll use, (laughs) because I don't know any other word that sort of gets that right other than a a good Yiddish word. So. I, as a, a member of the tribe, I fully appreciate the use of the word. And, you know, we had some some internal debates about, you know, how much do we talk about COVID? How big a deal do we make out of it? Both because 
you know, early on, we were hoping that it wouldn't even be an issue by the time we really went to press. And also because, you know, people get, can get very touchy about the subject. Our mantra at the unofficial guide is we work for the readers. You know, we don't accept freebies from the parks. We're not trying to sell you a vacation package. We are there to work in your best interest. In the past, it's been, you know, if a ride isn't worth such a long wait, we tell you, or if a food isn't good enough to be worth the price, we tell you. Well, you know, now this is a little more serious, helping someone decide whether going on Hagrid's magical motorbike is worth possibly contracting a potentially fatal disease. But we've been very straightforward, very science-based. We keep the politics out of it. It's it's really just about, here's what you're going to get for your money. Here's the information you need to decide for yourself uh, whether it's worth it or not. Uh, the bottom line that we come down to, to <laughs> spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, if this is your first and probably only visit to Orlando, if this is a once-in-a-lifetime trip for you and you have the possibility of putting it off for another year, put it off. This is if if you've never experienced, you know, the theme parks before and you want to experience them at their best because it's your only chance to do so, this is not the ideal situation. Delay your trip, absolutely. If you are someone who has been to the parks before, you already know that you like them and that you are willing to be understanding with some of the limitations in exchange for some of the benefits that come with the the new policies. I think this last year has been one of the best times to go to the park. And that sounds kind of crazy. Obviously, if you have a pre-existing condition, if you are medically vulnerable, you know, I am relatively young-ish, <laughs> despite my gray hair. And I, I am healthy and I do not have dependents or vulnerable people in my in my household. But you know, we've seen things that we've never seen before in the parks, being able to walk onto rides with hardly any weight. Yesterday, I rode Millennium Falcon with just me and my wife getting to pilot in the front and no one sitting behind us talking. Wow. With a 15 minute wait. Wow. That's, wow. that's crazy. Yeah. Being able to, like I did the other day, ride Hagrid's with a 16 minute wait. When that's a ride that a year ago I waited seven and a half hours for. Oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, those are, those are things that, while financially not great for the parks, it's been amazing for the guests who have been able to come here and take advantage of it. Now, it's changing. The parks have definitely been getting busier. They have been raising their uh, capacity limits. And so it's not quite uh, everything to walk on all the time like it was in those uh, early weeks after the parks reopened. But, you know, a lot of the things that have really worn me down on the theme park experience, you know, the long queues just to meet a character and the constant regimentation <laughs> required by, you know, planning all your fast passes months in advance. I find the park going experience, even with wearing face masks and having to make your park pass reservation at Disney, I find the park experience more relaxing now than it was before the pandemic started. I hope that there's aspects of that that can stay even after we go back to normal. That totally makes sense. We were just talking recently on a bonus episode with a, a friend of the show who is a travel agent, and she was saying something very similar, which is putting aside people's um, you know, specific health conditions or vulnerable family members with health conditions. You could have a great park experience if you've been to the parks before, but she wouldn't mm -hmm. recommend to any of her clients for that once in a lifetime, first time type trip to go right now. And I will say that the universal experience is a lot closer to their full experience than Disney is. And that's partially because of different policies, but it's also because of the kind of entertainment mix that they both provide. I'd say universal right now is at about 85%. There's you know some kids' playgrounds uh, and some entertainment that's not available you know, all of the major attractions and most of the shows are still going full strength at Universal. Whereas Disney, Disney's a lot more dependent on live entertainment and character encounters that have still not come back. And, you know, things like parades and fireworks, they're a nice to have at Universal, but that's not why you go to Universal. Parades and fireworks are a thing that people specifically go to Disney for. And until that kind of stuff comes back uh, in full force, it's, it's only kind of like 
70% of the Disney experience. So Seth, to rewind for a second, mm-hmm. to go back for just a second to something that you said earlier on, I'm curious, uh, and this is probably a kind of a two-part question, were you yourself apprehensive at all going back into the parks when they opened? Oh, 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 heck yes. <laughs> I am, I'm not uh, ashamed to say that when, you know, things first hit and everyone started locking down, uh, my wife and I hibernated inside the house we we went out we stocked up on ramen and 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 we did we didn't leave the house for feels like weeks uh at first and we even once things started lightening up initially we we were still very very cautious and my my wife was not thrilled about me going out to the parks at first and you know it wasn't until i went and reported on it and you know showed how strict they were being and I kind of, I kind of swung at first. I was like, you know, I'm going to be around a lot of people, a lot of strangers. I don't know if they're all going to follow the rules. And then after a few visits, I very quickly realized that I felt far safer at Disney and Universal than I did at my local grocery store or my local gas station or anywhere else that you know was an essential place that I had to go because of the pretty much 99.44% compliance with guests. You know, you, yes, you're always going to find someone who wants to go viral by refusing to wear a mask and making a scene in front of security. And that stuff happens. But, you know, when you've got tens or hundreds of thousands of people a day going through a property and you're seeing a handful of people who are blatantly defying the rules, as opposed to you know, when I go to my grocery store and people can't follow the arrows of which way they're going to go up the aisle and they think that wearing a mask on their chin is doing good. Yeah. So I got to the point where I didn't want to be inside my house anymore, but I'm not going to go shopping at the mall. I'm not going to go to a movie theater. Disney became a place to go where I knew I could be outside and be surrounded by people who were forced to take mask wearing and social distancing very seriously, lest they lose their $120 a day ticket. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a great incentive. Being told that you're going to be kicked out of the happiest place on earth for not wearing a piece of cloth Mm -hmm. is a great incentive to get with the program. You know, Florida, apparently we believe that we exist on a different planet than the rest of America. And so, you know, we don't, we're not like California where there's no dining and there's no, you know, we don't have really very many uh, restrictions imposed by the government at all. So going to a place like a Disney or Universal that is big enough and powerful enough to be their own government and to set stricter rules than uh, our governor would support is actually kind of comforting. Well, so, and so Seth, I'm curious too, it sounds like your, so your mentality around going to the parks evolved over time. I'm, I'm curious about how you dealt with potentially one other issue or if you experienced mm-hmm. one other issue, which is, I think it's been labeled travel shaming now, right? It's different. You live in that area. So, yeah. so you're able to kind of go to the parks as a local. So maybe the question for you would be, did you experience any of this from friends or family members being like, you're crazy. You're, you're absolutely crazy. Well, my friends and my family members have long accepted that I am crazy. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of okay with them. I mean, you know, the, the first day that Magic Kingdom reopened, I was out there uh, reporting for USA Today. And, you know, I got a couple Facebook messages from people I hadn't heard from in a while saying, are you sure about this? You know, from my my friends and family, they know that this is my job. And someone, uh, someone's got to do it. <laughs> Might as well be me, right? <laughs> so I, you know, I haven't, I haven't really personally encountered that kind of backlash, uh, though I know I, I have seen that kind of thing happen on social media. It's tough because I, I do understand where some of that is coming from. I do think that you are probably far more at risk of contracting or spreading a disease while you are traveling from your home to the parks than actually in the parks. Not that airplanes themselves are necessarily carriers, but airports. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm more, I have not been on a plane and I would probably be more nervous about going to the airport than going to the destination. But that's just me. And this, this is going to, I don't mean it at all to sound cold. I get where people's concern and worry is coming from. I'm also concerned for all of my friends who make a living in the theme parks and were out of work for a long time. You you can't just if you've spent, you know, your whole career learning how to entertain people in this very specific kind of way, it's not like you can just pull up and move to Des Moines and do the same thing. Orlando is is one of the few places 
in the world where you can make a decent living doing this kind of work that people train for their whole lives and people have to eat. So I don't judge as, as long as people are doing it in the the safest way possible using the best practices and they're not being reckless, you know, and I don't feel like Disney or Universal is being reckless, then I can't I can't judge people for for wanting to feed their families. Yeah, no. And in your comments about airports is exactly what we've heard from our guests. Their biggest worry in the chain was the airport itself, mm-hmm. less so the airline. And then once they were in the parks, they felt to your point you've raised, uh, they felt safer than when they've been in their local grocery store. So yep. I think the travel aspect of it is what's uh, what's most concerning. And yeah, I agree. I, there's multiple views of this. I, I kind of come down to the viewpoint of we've been cooped up in our homes now for going on a year, uh, mm-hmm. a year in March, and mental health is as important as physical health. And so you got to balance the equation out in the ways that make the most sense for you, right. your situation and your family, right? It's not going to be for everybody, but you know, staying put isn't also going to be for for everybody. At Pe- this point. People have been under an amazing amount of stress, and I think it, you know it's going to be decades before we really understand the psychic toll that this last year has taken on people. And what happens if you give people no outlet at all? Then they wind up finding much more dangerous outlets. So I I would rather people have a relatively safe and healthy, you know, escape valve like a Disney park than trying to find socialization and and recreation in places that aren't as well regulated. Well, let's shift over for a second since you've been going to both parks or, you know, Disney Mm -hmm. World and its parks and Universal. I'm curious at a high level, are you seeing them tackle these problems differently in any way? Or is it kind of the same approach at both places? I guess. So are there any differences you're seeing places where maybe Universal's doing it better versus Disney or mm. Disney's doing it better than Universal? You know, a lot of the basics are the same. You're getting your temperature checked. You have to wear a mask. You've got lines on the ground every six feet. So the major difference between the two is I feel like Disney has been much more conservative about attendance and capacity, putting in the the park pass reservation system, making people decide ahead of time what park they're going to on what day. You know, that obviously gives Disney a lot more data about where their crowds are going and a lot more control over how many people are going through the gate. Universal, on the other hand, has basically just said, well, we know how many people we can let in and you can come on in until we say you can't anymore, which worked fine for them at first until you hit peak holiday period where you had the gates being closed within minutes of the park officially opening for the day and a bunch of people who had bought tickets getting turned away. So on the money side, that's great for Universal. They, you know, I have definitely noticed crowds during the peak holiday period felt bigger at Universal. Just a lot more people, it seemed, buying food and buying drinks, merchandise, whereas Disney was still fairly busy over the holidays, but uh, it seemed a little bit more controlled. You know, Disney, I think, is now trying to recapture a little bit more of that money by loosening the reins because now they're letting you come in and park hop after 2 p.m. And they seem to be making the park passes a lot more available. So we might see Disney raising those capacity limits and, and trying to fill the parks up a little bit more again. But that that would, I'd say, the, the one difference I've noticed is that Universal seems a little more willing to push the line to ride closer to their normal capacity. And that's also because, you know, Universal's got a lot higher percentage of their uh, normal attractions open. Whereas Disney, you know, you can't put as many people in Hollywood studios if there's no Indiana Jones show for them to see and there's no Beauty and the Beast show to see and there's no Little Mermaid show. You take out all that, all that stuff, then all those people have to go somewhere. I think as Disney brings back more entertainment and brings back, you know, higher capacity, we'll see those those differences even out. Yeah. I wonder if some of this capacity limiting is about, you know, the PR that Disney obviously is so important to it and or if it has something to do with trying to prove to the state of California 
that they could reopen safely in Disneyland, right? So it w- meaning mm. that using Florida, using Walt Disney World as an example to say to Governor Newsom in California, hey, we've been able to safely operate and look, we're being really cautious with our capacity and things like that mm-hmm. in order to try and convince California to let them start reopening. I wouldn't doubt that could be an element of it, though I know... You know, Disneyland was supposed to reopen for its anniversary back in in July. That never happened. And the word is that uh, Newsom had sent spies, maybe spies (laughs) is a little harsh, representatives (laughs) to, uh, you know, be like mystery shoppers. And they visited all the Orlando parks. Apparently, they visited them all over a holiday weekend. And were not happy with what they saw. And I haven't heard any word of them dispatching representatives to look at it again since. So if that was part of the plan, it It might have backfired. Yeah, it didn't work. Well, which which may speak to crowds, which is kind of a question I wanted to ask too. You've mentioned it's the, the crowds steadily going up, right? And so I know in the beginning, people were like, oh, these parks are open and it's great. I'm walking onto everything. There's nobody here. And then, you know, it seems like word got out. People felt safer too. And I also think people felt more cooped up and were like, I, I got to get out of here and get, go do something. I'll go to Disney because it seems safe. So are the crowd levels creeping up consistently? Are there, you know, we hear conflicting information from folks who are visiting around, you know, oh, it was like really crowded, you know, or people you know, potentially cherry picking photo ops of like, look at these terrible lines. And I'm just wondering, are you seeing anything from a patterns perspective around, you know, yeah, on the weekends is really busy. But if you come during the week and the kids are in school, it's empty, right? Yes. A lot of the normal patterns, you know, touring plans, we've been tracking attendance every day for years and years. And a lot of the normal patterns that we would see have been thrown off, chiefly weekends, are much much busier and weekdays are much less busier. And that's that's you know it's easy to know why that is it's because where normally you would have more than half of your attendance is people from out of town or out of the country who are you know staying here on vacation and attending the parks midweek those people are not coming back yet. It's we still have some national visitors, but you're you're looking at more than half of your guests in the park right now are local and they they work during the week and they show up on the weekends. So absolutely weekend attendance has peaked and weekday attendance is below what we're seeing historically. Beyond that, what I would say is that you are seeing bigger crowds, but bigger crowds don't necessarily mean longer waits. There's this really kind of paradoxical thing going on where because of the social distancing, we are seeing queues stretch places that we never would have imagined them before. Um, the Peter Pan queue now goes through the entire queue, and that was rebuilt not too many years ago to give it more interior queue space, stretches completely through that, goes back outside from Fantasyland to Liberty Square and goes through the Columbia Harbor House restaurant, which is currently closed. The Haunted Mansion queue on a daily basis goes outside the mansion along the riverfront and all the way almost to the Country Bear Jamboree. Now, at any other time, if you had come and seen a line stretching like that, you would run away screaming. You would never get in a line that looked like that. But that line for Haunted Mansion that stretched there is a 15 minute wait. Yeah. That line for Peter Pan is a 20 minute wait. So it, it's um, psychologically, people look at these queues and they're like, this park is packed. This is ridiculous. But if you actually time the amount of time you're spending waiting for these rides, it's historically at rock bottom levels. Yeah. We heard that from, we heard that sort of psychological moment from a couple of folks. And, you know, they also said, like, once you're in the line, it's actually moving. It's like, feels like you're constantly moving That's- forward. That's the thing. It's um, one, the spacing means that, you know, you've always got a little bit of room in front of you and a little bit of room behind you. So you can walk at a more steady pace without constantly stop and go bumping up against traffic, right? You know, having someone right at your heels. More importantly, no fast pass means that everyone is in the same line. And so you're not getting in the situation where for every one step the standby line takes, there's 10 people going through on the fast pass side. That makes enormous difference. I've always said I would rather wait 10 minutes in a line that is moving than five minutes in a line that is completely still. Because at least when you're moving, you're changing scenery, 
you're passing by different people, you've got physical activity. When you're standing still, all you have to do is think about how long you've been standing still. Right. <laughs> right. True. You you raised fast passes, Seth. I'm curious, do you have any prognostication on whether Disney would be bringing fast passes back? I think that's been a big question. And or will they finally take this opportunity to do the right thing and bring Max Pass to Disney World? <laughs> uh, well, okay. So Bringing MaxPass to Disney World would require them abandoning a lot of the fundamental features of FastPass Plus as we know it, which I would not mind at all. I love MaxPass. I pay for MaxPass every time I go there. I I paid to have it added on to my annual pass when I was there last time, which hasn't done me much good. Uh, (laughs) And I would love to see a system closer to MaxPass brought over here. I've heard absolutely no indications that that's in the works. They seem to be pretty happy with the way things are going right now. They have the ability to, you know, if you have VIP guests or Club 33 members or people with some sort of special needs, they have an ability to send them through FastPass style. But dedicating, you know, such a large percentage to standby is really necessary. If they tried bringing FastPass back before they can get all these attractions up to full capacity, then I think it would cause such a mess in the walkways of the parks. I I can't see it being practical. I've also noticed that they have been installing more, not necessarily permanent, but more solid looking plexiglass walls in a lot of queues lately. I noticed it recently, both Haunted Mansion and Pirates, that seems designed so that they can fully utilize both the standby and fast pass sides as one big standby line. You know, if they're putting that stuff in, it, you know, it, it looked like something that they would have to undo before they could bring fast pass back. So the other question I have for you, Seth, is things that you're seeing them do that you hope they actually keep. So for instance, (laughs) I've heard a lot of great feedback from from folks around the cavalcades to the point where some people are saying, I kind of hope they don't bring back the full midday parades. I hope they just keep these cavalcades going because it lessens that crush to Main Street, allows you to see the characters kind of a fun and spontaneous way. And then, you know, go back about your business at the parks, regardless of whether, you know, where you fall in the debate of parades. It sounds like people enjoy these cavalcades that they're doing now. So is there anything like, you know, that they're doing today that you're like, this is actually a great change and I hope they keep it? Yeah, you, you can count me as one of the people giving a thumbs up for the, the cavalcades. Oh, interesting. They've, got, they've gotten a little uh, repetitive, personally. They, they only have so many of them. And, you know, there's so many obscure characters in the, uh, the wardrobe warehouse. It would be nice if every day or every week there was at least one character that you weren't expecting that they they threw up there that would be a fun little touch but i i love the fact that they are impromptu and that they don't generate these huge crowds of people camped out on on the curbs along main street there is a downside of course which is that if you're a you know a touring plans person you know that the afternoon parade was always a great time to try to hit some of the e-tickets because it would pull people away from the attraction lines fortunately right now that's not so necessary. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the cavalcades and also the character pop-ups that they do over yeah. at Universal. Another thing that they do that I really hope sticks around is socially distanced parking. So what they've been doing is leaving empty rows and empty spaces in between cars as they're parking in the morning, and then they'll go back in the afternoon and fill in the gaps. So this has two great advantages. One, if you're coming in early, it means that you're not going to be parked with cars right on either side of your car. Even when it's not a pandemic, there's nothing worse than you're opening your door at the same time the car next to you is opening their door and no one can get out. (laughs) Good point. Um, So this means that you've always got plenty of space next to your car when you're pulling in. And if you're like me and you often show up at the parks in early afternoon instead of at rope drop, you've got a really good chance of getting a parking spot right up front. So I can't see any reason to stop it. It even seems because they're not parking the cars so tightly, they seem to be able to park them a little faster. It seems to be a win for everyone. Interesting. Yeah, we hadn't heard about heard that about the parking. So that's really that's really interesting. On the flip side of that coin, Seth, let me ask, what do you miss the most right now? from the mm. parks. It's something they've taken away that you're like, I just, if that, that experience is something I'm really hoping they bring back soon. 
live entertainment, especially at Disney. Universal has done a really good job. They still have their horror makeup show. They opened the Bourne Stuntacular and did a fantastic job with that. And they've still got a lot of their their walk around characters. But, you know, there, there's still some things that are missing. And at Disney, especially Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Animal Kingdom without Festival of the Lion King and Finding Nemo the Musical is not Animal Kingdom for me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not just uh, into theme parks. I'm also very active in theater and the arts. And Orlando has or had a really vibrant performing arts community because we had 800 people who were able to make good livings as union actors at Disney. And all but about 20 of those people are have been furloughed. And, you know, you can't sit around with no pay forever. So a lot of them are starting to leave town or they're dropping their union cards and finding other careers. So, you know, Disney announced that they're bringing a version of the Festival of the Lion King show back for summer. Yeah, um, I just saw that yesterday, that announcement. Yeah. And, it, you know, they say that it's going to be modified for social distancing and safety. I'm, I'm very curious because right now the Actors' Equity Union, as far as I know, has not approved any plans for large cast indoor stage shows. So I'm sure <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am very hopeful that they are working closely with Disney on this. And it does not mean that they are going to do this show with non-union talent, because that would be kind of a death blow to, to the arts in this town. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the reason why we have really vibrant, you know, community and professional theater here in Central Florida is because people are getting their, their health insurance paid by Disney and they're able to, you know, spend their evenings doing plays. Without that, we we don't have theater here. So, you know, Disney with rides and and Mickey Mouse, you know, that's great. But Disney without the live entertainment, the musicians, the dancers, it's just not Disney. I totally agree. And like at Epcot, the street perform, you know, it's just that mm-hmm. We're even at Hollywood Studios, the street performers, right? Oh, I mean, that was, yeah. Was, I mean, it's the street atmosphere, yeah. the citizens of Hollywood, you know. And it's so hard because so much of what they do is about being down face to face with people, you know, being very intimate. And it's going to be hard to do that until you know the pandemic is over. But Universal has found ways to keep their actors working even on the you know people who are working on shows that they can't do right now they've got them out on the balconies making announcements and chatting with people on microphones and stuff oh that's cool you know they've they've done their best to put people to work and disney's obviously a much bigger corporate machine they have a lot more people but i feel like as far as union entertainment goes there's a lot more that could be done to put people back to work Aside from kind of the the balance that you gave us around, is this a good time to go or not? I'm curious for anyone who is deciding, who's done that calculus and said, I'm going. Any big tip for those folks as they head into the parks, Seth? Yes. Spend time ahead of time figuring out your best mask. You are going to spend half of your day thinking about your mask, worrying about your mask, adjusting your mask. Make sure you have a good one that you are really comfortable with and then buy enough of them so that you can have at least two on you at any time and that you can have a fresh one every day. The trickiest thing with masks is going from outdoors into Indoor air-conditioned rides, especially ones that are 3D. If you are a person who wears glasses, you are doomed. <laughs> yeah. You are just, it's, yeah. the world is fogged. So my, my trick is you have to find a mask that has the flexible metal or plastic thing across the bridge of your nose that mm-hmm. lets you mold it down to the bridge of your nose. And you also want something that isn't just uh, flat but that's contoured. So it's curving around your nose and your chin uh, so that you can tuck it up as far as you can under your eyelids and put your glasses on top of the mask on the bridge of your nose and form a seal. And if you do that with the 3D glasses, you can make it through the ride, especially if you are careful to breathe out through your mouth and kind of breathe downward towards your chin instead of (laughs) breathe upwards. You have to sort of like give yourself an overbite. (laughs) You know, for three minutes for the ride, you can do it. It's definitely, it's something that you almost want to practice. It's like, I don't know, Lamaze breathing or something. You've got (laughs) to, you know, kind of get your, get your rhythm going. That's, 
the biggest annoyance to me, especially at Universal, I mean, we know Universal loves their 3D attractions. And it's as someone who wears glasses uh, normally, it's definitely made uh, things challenging. But even if you don't wear glasses, uh, and even if you're not doing 3D attractions, the, the mask is going to be the bane of your existence. So invest in good ones that you that are really comfortable. Or I've found that uh, disposable ones... Yeah, I was just going to say that. The disposable ones are more breathable and mm-hmm. more lightweight. And when it gets soaked with sweat or recycled water from a water ride, you can just toss it and move on to a new one. So... You know, the easiest thing to do is probably to just buy, you know, a bulk pack of those and make sure you've always got a few of them in a Ziploc bag in your back pocket. Pro tip. That is a pro tip. You just got a huge pro tip over eyewear glasses and oh man, it's painful. But yeah. Anyways, Sam, go ahead. I, I was going to say, so I'm also, Brian and I are both glasses wearers and I mm-hmm. am, I am the more blind of the two of us. He can survive without glasses. I cannot. I can't walk, talk or chew gum without <laughs> glasses on. But I will but say. you can wear contacts. You that, can wear so contacts. So that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I think that if, if masks are still a thing by the time Brian and I have head back to the parks. I think I'm going to have to go back to wearing contacts at least for the week that we do that. I tell you, I haven't worn contacts in 25 years. I had botched LASIK surgery when when that first came out. Oh yeah. And, oh. Uh, and so I'm I'm no longer able to wear contact lenses, but if if I could, I would probably go back to them and and I hated them when I wore them. <laughs> Personally, I have a variety of handmade, like, you know, homemade masks with like Marvel characters and Star Trek and stuff. Yes, so we have some generally, Star Wars. You know, especially if I'm out vlogging or whatever, I, I try to wear one of those. But if, if I was just doing it purely on a practical basis, I would definitely get a pack of the disposables that have the little nose bendy bit. So well, let's let's shift over to our rapid fire round. And this is Sam's favorite part of the show, Woo-hoo. although I have written a ton of the rapid fire questions this this time around. So, Sam, uh, I will throw it over to you unless you want me to do it. No, I want to do it. You know, <laughs> all I right. Love this. All yours. All OK, yours. Seth, you may remember from the last time. The only rule of rapid fire is there are no rules of rapid fires. So. <laughs> I'll try not to freeze on the spot. All right. <laughs> Worse so than being on Jeopardy. The, these are some of these are universal focused and then some of these are an either or your favorite okay. universal franchise or favorite character from universal's theme parks et awesome favorite quick service at universal oh uh, uh does the butterbeer cart count sure sure okay. yeah i'll right. we'll go yeah. with the butterbeer cart uh your favorite ride at universal at either of the par- any of the parks this week at Hagrid's. All right. Okay. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter or Galaxy's Edge? Potter. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I know directionally where most of these questions should land. So keep yeah. going. <laughs> okay. Hagrid's Motorbike or Rise of the Resistance? That's a really, really tough one. The ride itself, Hagrid's. The complete experience, Rise of the Resistance. Oh, interesting. Okay. Butterbeer or Blue Milk? Oh, my God. Do you even have to ask a question? No, I don't have to ask that question. <laughs> if, if you say blue milk, you're done. I would take, I would take butterbeer fudge, which is absolutely disgusting <laughs> over blue milk. Okay. You, you know, I, I decided after one sip that blue milk is shampoo and green milk is conditioner. Yes, uh. they are both. I have to agree with you. They're both gross and butterbeer is delicious. So that's probably the only question where there really is a right answer. <laughs> <laughs> My new favorite photos are people throwing away their blue milk, right? They're, they're now starting hey, that, to take pictures. Of like, I, started that <laughs> I started that trend. I started that trend. I claim full credit for that on the internet. Oh, I love that. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, Leaky Cauldron or Oga's Cantina? Oh, um, I can't get into Oga's no matter how I try, so I have to go with Leaky. <laughs> That's <laughs> I, funny. I, I, I ate at Oga's the first couple days when it was like you just stood there lined up and if you, you had to just be the first one. And then once they started taking reservations, I haven't been able to get a reservation. Yeah, I, I, I think Leaky Cauldron wins anyway, so. 
Well, at Leaky, at Leaky, you can get a shot of fire whiskey in a cup of cider, and that is better than any of the drinks at Oga's. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I find the, the drinks at Oga's weird, and I also don't like that you don't get to sit at a table in most of the places. At I Oga's. will say the one, the one thing, like my favorite quick service item in the, probably the entirety of the Disney parks is in Galaxy's Edge, and it's the Ronto yes, Yeah. He, oh, yeah. Yes. yes, that redeems a lot of the questionable stuff at Galaxy's Edge. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know if you've had, they they had it for a brief time. There was uh, a Ronto wrap with chicken instead of pork and uh, tzatziki. It was like kind of a Mediterranean chicken Ronto wrap. It was mm. really good. They only like had a, it for a little Like while. a souvlaki or something or a gyro. Yeah. yeah. Yum. Okay. City walk. Or Disney Springs. I I don't love Disney Springs, but it's just got so much more to it. You know, City Walk's got a couple really great restaurants, but there's really no shopping to speak of, and there's no real entertainment. Yeah, no, Disney Springs has just got more to it. But um, the real question should be Orange Garage or Lime Garage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an Orange Garage fan myself. Uh, Well, I was going to say, City Walk doesn't have Gideon's, which is like the internet rage right now. Five hours for a cookie. Okay. Uh, So So I've been eating at Gideon's for years because they started this place. We have downtown, just north of downtown, called the East End Market. And they're a little store. And sometimes they get a line out the door. You might wait a half an hour for a cookie. But you could literally drive from Disney Springs to the original Gideon's, get your cookie, and drive all the way back long before you would get one at Disney Springs. <laughs> it's yeah. so ridiculous. I'd seen that on the, like, several people were like, I don't know why you guys are waiting in line for five hours when you can just drive 20 minutes and get your cookie, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And and having had them, they're good, but they look better in photos than they eat because they put so much stuff in them. It's like 90% candy or chocolate chips or whatever, and about 2% actual cookie batter. And so they, they barely even really hold together as a cookie. It's more just a, a pile of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw, I saw someone, they were commenting on, you know, Dis- Gideon's has this policy of if you pre-order, you can order as many cookies as you want. But if you're in line, you've got a limit. And I, my, my, I don't know because we haven't been a, had a chance to go. But my understanding is these things are like a pound. Like they're not. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, there's no way one person could share them. Like one of these is dessert for, for four people easily. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to ask you one more question. If if somebody was telling you today they're going to Orlando, they've already made the, that decision for vacation and they're going to a theme park, but they just haven't decided whether or not they should go to Universal Studios or Walt Disney World. And we're talking right now, we're still in the middle of COVID. And so mm-hmm. which one would you tell them to go to? Well, normally I would have an in-depth conversation about their family demographics and their likes and their dislikes. But is tech with all that universal <laughs> wow <laughs> wow that's a big endorsement for universal right there from a disney person especially because it's covid time and you know if i'm telling someone to go to, to disney you know i want them to see the fireworks i want them to see phantasmic mm-hmm. you know i want them to see the all the big entertainment and and that just doesn't exist so i think that if, if you're definitely going to orlando you can get more bang for your buck right now out of universal I, I have to ask, you're the co-author of the Universal Studios Guide, uh, and you're co-author of the Disneyland Guide. So, Disneyland or Universal Studios? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the really hard one to answer. Um, it's hard to really judge fairly because I live here in Orlando. I go to Universal any chance I get, any chance I want. Um, whereas Disneyland, I only get out there a few times a year. and you know, I haven't been out there in more than a year now. But putting all that aside, I'd still have to say Disneyland. Um, di- you know, Universal has a lot of things about it I love. But Universal is ultimately kind of a stressful place. It's a very high energy place. It's a very loud place. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the rides, but they're very intense. You know, I go to Universal to have fun and you know, to be excited. 
I go to Disney to decompress. Hmm. And Disneyland is definitely my that's my happy place. That's my that that's where I can just kind of really unwind and and soak up the atmosphere. And I can spend a full day in Disneyland without ever getting on a ride and feel totally satisfied. Whereas, you know, Universal it experiences definitely a lot more about getting shaken up and turned upside down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Well, Seth, as always, it's just been a pleasure catching up with you and talking to you about uh, everything that's going on in Orlando these days. Do you want to let folks know how they can connect up with you and or the unofficial guides and touring plans? Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Eskuberski or at the UG series. And you can find our blog and purchase copies of the book at theunofficialguides.com. Great. Well, Seth, thanks so much again for coming on the show this week. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff coming up later this year. So let's get back together and talk about it soon. As always, it has been a blast having Seth on the show. He is so knowledgeable about all things Universal and all things Disneyland. We've loved chatting with him about those parks and can't wait to have him back. We are huge fans of the Unofficial Guide series and of touring plans. So if you haven't checked out those products, the Unofficial Guides are a great planning resource and we absolutely love touring plans for planning our trips to the theme park. So be sure to check those out. They are great, great, great resources. With that, we don't have any new Apple podcast reviews to read on the air this week. So please, just another reminder, head over, leave us those reviews on Apple Podcasts. They are really, really important and really helpful for our show, especially as we're starting out. So hope you'll head over and leave us those reviews. We really appreciate it. With that, we do want to thank each and every one of you for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each and every week. Please also leave us those five-star reviews at Apple Podcasts. They are super helpful in surfacing our content to people who might be looking for a podcast like ours. Please also give us those shout-outs on social media. We've had a few of those recently, and they just really help surface the podcast to people who might not know that we're out there. So really appreciate that to those of you who've done that. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at DCL Duo. We always love hearing from our listeners. You can also head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content. Or you can join our DCL Duo vlog and podcast group over at Facebook. Click join. We want to have you in that conversation. It's a lot of fun to interact with our listeners in that group. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney Cruise, or a Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night. Good night.